So this morning we're going to continue in the series uh, in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, which uh, we started uh, two weeks ago. And the reading that Anthea brought to us comes from Matthew chapter 6, and it inc includes two sections which are often entitled uh, Treasures in Heaven, the first one, and Do Not Worry, the second one. And it's the relationship between these two aspects of Jesus' teaching that I want us to reflect on a bit more today. Because when we think about it, the two are very closely related uh, to one another. What we most value, what we, is what is most precious to us, these often are the things we fear losing. And we worry about that. Do we have any worriers here? Would anybody put their hand up to say, I'm a worrier, oh, thank you, Anne, a worrier like me. Yeah. Hello, Robin, thank you very much. And Ginny as well, good. We all worry, and it's good to know you're a worrier because then you're more likely to you know, deal with it in a, in a, in a, in a positive way as well. Um, <clears throat> we all have things that we consider precious. Not always the things the Lord will wish we consider, consider precious, but we all have things we consider precious. And I think we naturally worry about sometimes those things. But worrying, you know, being anxious, can often distract us, even disable us. I know people who have chronic anxiety, and it's absolutely disabling. It actually leaves people paralysed, unable to turn to the left or to the right. But even worry and anxiety at a more manageable level can often get in the way of those things that God wishes us to get on and do in our lives. We would prefer, prefer to pay attention, as it were, to our own concerns rather than the Lord's. Worrying tends to draw us into our own little inner world, but in a negative way, and potentially can, what can be a very harmful way as well. We also can find ourselves confusing what we want with what we need, extending our list of things we can worry about even further into the future. God, as our attentive parent, is far more interested in providing us with what we need rather than what we want. I mean, that's where Jesus' focus is in that passage. But I picked up some other verses elsewhere from the wisdom books in the Bible, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, just as a few words to reflect on. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Wealth is, a, is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver? And one in Proverbs 23, cast but a glance at your riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. And a couple from Ecclesiastes the author, where everything was meaningless, meaningless, and meaningless. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, this too is meaningless. And the last one. The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether it eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. we stand back and we think about it, for good or for ill, we tend to shape our lives, our behaviours, around the people and the things that we value most. 
The teaching of Jesus this morning, I think, invites us and has his hearers to think about certain things. To think about what do we treasure? What is precious to us? What is our most precious thing? I, I think of the Lord of the Rings with Gollum, and he had my precious the ring, if you haven't seen the film, which I imagine most of you have done. But what do we value most in life? What do we treasure? And then also Jesus gets us to reflect a bit about, okay, this is your most precious thing. Where do you keep it? Do you keep it in your bank account? Or do you keep it with the Lord? And lastly, he, he, he makes the point, I think, in his teaching, that he, at the end of our mortal lives, there are precious things in our lives, precious things that we can't take with us. There are some things we can and some things we can't. So if our precious things are in this world, the day will come where we have to deal with their loss. It's as simple as that. Jesus wants us to value the right things. And for Jesus, relationships are far more precious than any material object can ever be, however useful it is. In my last church, I had a lady who was a lovely woman, but she made me laugh and laugh. But anyway, she was convinced all the church was all about was getting money. All you want from me is your money. My money, she used to go to me. And I'd go, no, 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 no. I want something far more precious than that. I want you, your soul, for the Lord. You know, that's, that's you know, where, uh, so, you know, we understand that in that context. We go, yeah, that is really precious. In God's sight, that is really precious. And this woman representing the world was going, you just want my money. So let's think a bit about what is our treasure. Not like that, I won't. Can you move it forward, please, David? Now, we are accustomed to dividing life into the spiritual and the material. But Jesus makes no such division in his teaching. In his many parables, he makes it clear that a right attitude towards wealth is a mark of a good spirituality, a true spirituality. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says to his followers, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all type, kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. And then Jesus, from that, goes on to tell that parable of the rich man, you may remember it, who had produced such a good crop, he had so much stuff, he had to build a bigger barn and stuff it all away, and he must have been a happy man. But that night he died. And he left a barn full of goods. If we have the righteousness of Christ in our lives, then we will seek to have a proper attitude towards material wealth. Now, nowhere does Jesus magnify poverty or criticise the legitimate getting of wealth for God. God has made all things, including food, clothing, drink and, and precious metals. And he's declared that things were good immigration narratives. God knows that we need certain things in order to live. In fact, he's given us, in, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy, richly all things to enjoy. This is some guidance that Paul gives Timothy and his church about things. 1 Timothy 6, this is. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in their wealth, 
which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's not wrong to possess things. Few people are called to be ascetic in their life. But it is wrong to allow things to possess us. In the Old Testament, the sin of idolatry is as dangerous as the sin of hypocrisy. And there are many warnings in the Bible against greed and or coveting, holding things, clinging to things. Jesus warns against the sin of living for things of this life. He does this by pointing out the consequences of greed, amassing wealth for our own ends. He also warns about what often then follows, which is idolatry, the worship of that wealth, making it our God, our most precious thing. Jesus warns about the dangers of materialism and its power as well to enslave us, to rob us of the freedom we are blessed with in Christ. It has the power to enslave our hearts. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It has the power to enslave our minds. Verses 22, verse 23. The eye of the lamp is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And finally, it has a power to enslave our will. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either they will hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, though so many of us do try to do so. Placing our hope in worldly treasure has the power to enslave us, heart, mind, and will. Our hearts become shackled by the material things of life. When as followers of Jesus, we ought to be liberated and controlled by the Spirit of God. If the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investment, then the result can only ultimately be a tragic loss, for those things are fleeting like the flowers of the field. But the treasures of earth may be used for God, who created them in the first place. But if we gather material things for ourselves, we can only ultimately face their loss and we will lose our hearts with them. Instead of becoming rich, we will experience quite the opposite. We will become poor, we will be impoverished. So what does it mean when Jesus says about laying up treasure in heaven? It means to use all that we have for the glory of God. It means hanging loosely to material things in life. It mean, also means measuring life 
by the true riches of the kingdom and not by the fleeting riches of this world. But wealth also has the power to enslave our, not only has the power to enslave our hearts, it also has the power to enslave our minds. Those verses 22, 23. God's word often uses the eye to represent the attitudes of the mind. It is, if the eye is properly focused on the light, the body can function and move safely and intentionally. But if the eye is out of focus or seeing double, it results in uncertain movements, unsure movements, random process, haphazard. It's pretty much impossible to make much progress in life while we're trying to look in two directions at the same time. If our aim in life is just to get material gain, it will mean darkness within. But if our outlook is to serve and glorify the Lord, then there will be light to show us the way. And finally, Jesus says, materialism will enslave our will. We cannot serve two masters simultaneously. Either Jesus Christ is our Lord, or money and things is our Lord. It is a choice, a matter of the will. Again, Paul, writing to Timothy, writes these words. In 1 Timothy 6, this is now. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, child of God, flee from all that and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. If God grants us riches and we use them for his glory, then those riches become a true blessing, not just for us, but to the world. But if we just strive to get rich and to collect and to make more and live with a consuming greed, we will end, at the end of our days, find that we have little more than sand, which just runs through our fingers. Dust. There's nothing. So what do you want? To be free in Christ? Or to be a slave to what ultimately will be no more than dust? So just a few reflections on, on the worry and Jesus' command to not worry. The person who pursues money thinks that riches can solve all their problems, when in reality riches have the potential to bring their own. Material wealth gives a dangerous full sense of security to life, if you have the wealth, of course. And we live in a wealthy society. Only immortal man depends on money, if you think of a creation, but money will always ultimately fail him. It has no, no eternal significance or value. And it is this often unspoken, unacknowledged truth deep down in us that fuels our anxiety and our worry. Instead of helping us to live fruitfully, fulfilling lives, anxiety only limits our freedom takes us captive and puts us in a cage 
but we're powerless. Jesus said, who of you can worry? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? The Greek Greek word translated into worry in our Bibles literally uh, means to be drawn in two different directions. Literally means to be pulled apart. It's like you've got two forces pulling you apart, being pulled in two different directions. And people can literally experience being pulled apart as they try to live their lives depending on material wealth. But Jesus says, God who feeds the birds and clothes the lilies will also feed and clothe us if we would but put our trust in him. It is only our little faith that hinders him from working as he would. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Click it again, Thanks. So if we do worry about material things, we are very much living in the world. If you put God's will and God's righteousness first in our lives, he will watch over us and care for us. The last couple of verses that Anthea read, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, will worry about itself. It's a very powerful testimony to the world when a Christian dares to put this into practice. And it is equally a tragedy when so many of us fail to do so. Worrying about tomorrow does not help us either with tomorrow or even today. If anything, it robs us of our effectiveness today, which probably means we'll be even less effective tomorrow. Someone has said the average person today is crucifying themselves between two thieves, the the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Now, whilst it's right to plan for the future and to save for the future and to provide for our, our, our families, It is not God's will for us to worry about the future and to permit tomorrow to rob us of the blessings of today. Those words of Jesus once more. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? For the unbeliever runs after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. In those three verses, verses 30 to 32, three there, four verses, sorry, they are, uh, if you look for words beginning with F, uh, there's a way of actually trying to draw this message to a close gives us a clue of how to set aside our anxieties and our worries. The first one we find in verse 30 is the word faith. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Faith is about trusting God to meet our needs. The next word, father, in verse 32. 
knowing our God, our Father, loves us as his children. Many of you have children, and you know what that means, to love and care for your children. To trust in that Father that we have in heaven. And the last, in verse 33, the word first. Putting God's will first in our lives so that he might be glorified. If we have faith in our Father and put him first, he will meet our needs. We need to seek to practice the righteousness of the kingdom. We will live for God's glory and find what is most precious to us is held safe in his hands. Faith in our Father, putting him first. And the closing scripture again comes from Philippians and Paul, one you will know well. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Amen. Let us pray.